The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Open your Bible to John 13, will you? I want to read, we're going to read John 13. It's the series we've kind of been in for three weeks. We're going to be wrapping it up today. But I want to read to you a Palm Sunday reading before we get to that. Uh, this is Luke's version in Luke chapter 19. You can just listen to this. It's not on the overhead. Luke chapter 19. And when he, Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he, knew, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, it's either Bethphage or Bethphage, depends if you shop at Target or Target. <laughs> Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And so the, Jesus is asking his disciples to commit grand theft donkey. <laughs> if anyone asks you, this is what I would be worried about. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owner said to them, uh, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. God, we thank you for your word we thank you, Heavenly Father, that you do all things well. And while we may not understand the difficult circumstances that we walk through in our lives in different seasons, you are working out all things according to your good plan that ends with peace in heaven and on earth and glory in the highest and many sons and daughters brought home to glory. God, as we fix our eyes on the triumphal entry of Jesus and what it means for us. And as we contemplate this new command to love one another as you have loved us, God, I pray that we would get a glimpse of the character of our Lord Savior. Lord, that we would understand the depth of his love for us, each of us and all of us. God, that we would get a glimpse of his humility and the power of his example. God, I pray that we would encounter you today in such a way that our hearts are renewed for some that they would come alive 
God, I pray that as we encounter you and get to know you better, that you would reshape the way we see ourselves and others and our place in this world, and that you would do a mighty and powerful work in us and through us. We're offering ourselves to you, God, everything we have. Say the word, the Lord has need of it, and it's yours. Speak to us now. We're, we're anxious to hear your voice. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. There's, a, there's a handful of times in life when you walk into a situation and the setting gives the cues to all present that from this point forward, things will never be the same. I think about a father escorting his daughter to the end of an aisle where her friends and her fiance's friends wait eagerly for her procession. Uh, this is a ceremony. Everybody kind of knows what's happening. Uh, been, I had my 49th wedding I officiated uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, at the end of the month will be the, the 50th wedding for me. And I, I, I've, I've always had it in my notes to be prepared if, uh, the, if the audience doesn't stand when the bride enters the room. You know how many times that's happened to me in 49 weddings? Zero times. Zero times. Every time the bride steps into visibility and immediately everyone's to their feet. Why? Because everybody knows what's happening. You know that? Now, I know if some of you are thinking some weddings end in divorce and blah, 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 and it's not happy. Yeah, but you'll never be the same after that day. Okay, even if you run from that moment, your life will never look the same. Can I get amen? It could be a graduation ceremony, a first child. Uh, you're getting your driver's license. Your first time pulling on the highway with your 16-year-old, that's terrifying. For most of us, my dad fell asleep. He's here. He's here today. I'll never forget that. I was so nervous. And uh, we're driving his G10 Chevy 15-passenger van. And uh, he's like, let's get on the highway. And uh, so I'm, you know, I'm trying to merge and watch my mirrors and check my mirrors. And I get on the highway and I kind of find my little spot and I sit in the right lane and I look over to see if he's proud and he was asleep. <laughs> so when you, have, when you have seven kids, you don't get to sleep a lot. So it seemed like a good time for a nap, I suppose. Some things become a moment you can't come back from. Have you guys ever started a DIY project where you're like, we're going to take down that wall today and it's a Saturday? And you're like standing over all your drywall on the floor with the what have I done feeling. Have you ever had that feeling? Like, it doesn't matter if you decide to put that wall back or not. Things will never be the same. So Palm Sunday is one of those moments, but on a universally grand scale. Jesus uh, makes a statement publicly through the actions that all four gospels record for us. And they triggered a series of events that culminated in his Betrayal, his trial, execution, and his resurrection and ascension. And so this is kind of the moment where we celebrate Jesus going from being a teacher and prophet and miracle worker in the storyline of redemption to uh, inaugurating his rightful kingship, but in a way that nobody expected. And Palm Sunday puts on display for us the nature and character of Jesus kingship and his person in a way that really coincides well with the end of the three weeks we've been spending in John chapter 13. John chapter 13 is during the discourse of Jesus with his disciples on the night of his betrayal. And chapter 13 sets uh, Jesus giving this new command with an example, the washing of the disciples' feet, um, in the setting of the revelation of Judas as the betrayer, and the prophetic utterance of Peter's denials, his thrice denial. 
And so chapter 13 is a powerful chapter. And the centerpiece of it is verse 34, which we've been looking at for the last few weeks. I'll look at John 30, 13, 33 to 35. It's on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. This whole thing's coming to an end. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus was going to do something that no human being could come back from, only, only a God-man. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, with this modifier, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. In verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you realize that Jesus, knowing what's ahead of him prophetically in this moment, knows where he's going and what that's gonna mean for him, what that's gonna cost him, what that's gonna be like. He knows the way that's gonna make the disciples feel. And he realizes that when he has accomplished his purpose, he will have opened the door for all people, not just Israelites, to come into a life-giving relationship with their creator by faith. Do you see this? And so he's going from where I am going to all people will know. And at the center of that, lies a command, an imperative, put upon the shoulders and responsibility of all people who call themselves disciples of Jesus. And that command is that we would focus our actions in love first toward one another, that we would have a type of unity and community that was divinely attractive, that was starkly a contrast to the way the world operates and that would highlight the person and work of Jesus. Do you see that? And so at the center of Jesus fulfilling what he started that only he could have done is a command that's an imperative for us. And as I started the series two weeks ago, I look around the world oftentimes and I think it's, I know things are getting better because 2000 years ago, the world was an awful place filled with bloodshed and violence and short life expectancies and plague and disease. And the human population had never really gotten above about a million people. And then since Christ has come and lived and died and rose and ascended, everything has slowly gotten better. Government has gotten better. Hospitals have gotten better. Medicine has gotten better. Technology has gotten better. The world has gotten more full. All of God's plans are being worked out. And yet it is arduously slow and there are lots of downs with all the ups. Can I get amen? And while we get focused on the downs, we ask, what is the solution? And you look to the scriptures, and if you read them plainly, they will tell you that God's solution is the gospel delivered through the church. And that the way we live our lives is meant to actually give credence to what God has done. And then you look at the church and you go, well, we're getting kind of a C minus here at best. What are we supposed to be doing? And so I felt the Lord was drawing my attention to this command in this setting. And really it becomes kind of like an in-house diagnostic test that reveals our, our road readiness. Um, if you grew up like I did, uh, we didn't really ever have reliable transportation. You guys ever, if all the cars that are new to you have more than 150,000 miles on them? <laughs> is this, is, has any of you had this experience? So uh, Tiffany and I have like, we always have like the old car and then we have like the new car. We've always done the one car payment thing, don't tell Dave Ramsey. <laughs> And so we've always had the one car that you know, if you need to go on a road trip, you can just get in it. It's low mileage, well-maintained, 
reliable. And then there's, you know, the other vehicle. So when I grew up, all the vehicles were the other vehicle, right? We, we made the trek from uh, Maryland to New Smyrna Beach when we moved, my, my, my parents moved our whole family down from Maryland to, to Florida. And I remember my, my dad put tires, wheel, whole wheels, inflated tires on the top of the car with an expectation of the ones that were under the car not making it. <laughs> I'll never forget uh, when Tiffany and I bought our first like, new to us car had like 10,000 miles on it. And it took me like a year of uh, every, every time you smelled a weird smell, not wondering if it was you first, you know what I mean? Like you smell a little radiator fluid, a little, a little oil in the exhaust. And uh, from my childhood, I'm trained to go, do I need to pull over? Cause if I don't pull over, I could burn up this one car that we have, you know? And um, so even today, like in my truck, I have an OBD2 onboard diagnostic computer sensor. Cause when that check engine light comes on and it will, I want to be able to know what's wrong with it. And this, this command functions for us in a diagnostic way. In fact, we could judge how effective we are going to be at evangelism, ministry, mission, world change, not based on how much money we raise, how many organizations we support, what kind of initiatives we've started, but rather how do each of us individually love the person right in front of us? And Jesus makes that abundantly clear in this passage. Now, I think the hard part for us is that many of us have bought into a narrative where we believe that uh, what will make the world better are new laws. Some of us are like super engaged and man, if we can get rid of that ruling or change this law or implement this, then we will keep and preserve the world. And there's a political conservatism there that I think is helpful. Some of us get into uh, new and better politicians. I hear a lot of those conversations. We need new leadership. We need new direction. And we put a lot of hope in things like changes to our laws or new and better politicians or judges. Uh, there's a big push right now for better media. We, we're, we're, uh, the, the, the ratings of legacy media is plummeting. I don't know if you guys have seen this or not. It's really fun. Uh, just, just absolutely plummeting. So much so that uh, CNN is now advertising on alternative media s- podcasts for $6.99 a month. You can have CNN in your pocket and they're advertising on their competitors, upstarts. And now it's been cut in half to $2.99 a month. You can get CNN. And most of us wouldn't let them pay us $2.99 a month to even have it on our phone. And Fox News is no better. I'm not here to, to pick sides. I'm telling you, there is a whole world of, uh, let's just pick a fight and keep everybody in the fight. And as long as there's a left and there's a right, then, then there, there's a fight. And then we have control over everybody. Do you realize this? And the, everyone's getting tired of it. And the reality is, is that um, laws can't change hearts. They can only restrain evil. And so laws are good to restrain evil. I'm all for restraining evil. Can I get Amen but that's not gonna solve the world's problems because people need a heart transplant and laws can't do that. Politicians don't have pure motives, none of them. This is why everyone is shocked by our governor. They're shocked because they've never seen anyone act out of non-self-interest. They're like, by this time, you kowtow to Disney. They're the biggest employer in Central Florida. What are you doing? And so this is a big big to-do. But even, you know, our beloved Governor DeSantis is just a person. Do you know that? And just like any of us, given the right circumstances, we'll never act out of completely pure motives. And honestly, I think uh, media we have all come to discover is simply 
a tool for our weak minds. Inflame the base, insult the opposition, doesn't matter what side you're on, it works to keep us all running mad. And so we replaced it with something else. It may be truer news, but it doesn't have any bigger effect. But I'm here to tell you that while all of those things have a place, I'm not disparaging any of them for what they're capable of, uh, what the world needs is a transplant, a heart transplant, and a king. And we have in Jesus the only trustworthy king. The only person who we can trust to rule over us because he died for us. The only one who has a pure motive and put on display not only his character, but his authority. And that's what Palm Sunday is actually uh, really all about. And we get that in the story. I, I read you the Luke version, but there's four versions. Um, Jesus rides in just like a bride walking down an aisle or a graduate walking up to the stage. This is a moment where Jesus is making a public statement about the nature of his role in the nation of Israel. He is declaring himself the rightful king. And so coming into Jerusalem during Passover week, he rides in instead of walking in. If Jesus had just strolled in with his disciples, sure, there would have been a crowd. Sure, people would have seen him. But when he put himself on an animal, this is his way of saying, your king is here. Do you realize this? And so this is what, this is what Palm Sunday is about. The triumphal entry is about. And you can't undo this. The toothpaste is now out of the tube. By Jesus getting on this colt and riding into the city on its back with people putting their cloaks out in front of him and palm branches on the ground, this is the, the acknowledgement by the followers of Jesus that he is the king and he has made a public declaration of his right to be the king of Israel. This is a finger in the eye to the Pharisees who have not approved of him. This is why they oppose to this action because they're saying, rebuke your disciples. They're identifying you as the king, which you are not. And what does he say? Absolutely, I can't do that. Because if they don't cry out, the very rocks will. And so Jesus is making a public statement about who he is. But he's also doing that in a very unusual way. So I know this gets lost on us because of the disconnect contextually. Um, we wouldn't we wouldn't catch these cues, I don't think, you know, any more than a first century Israelite would understand the DIY network, you know? Why would you knock down a perfectly good wall? <laughs> and so I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this. Now, um, the figureheads of Rome, when they made an entry into a city, would always come with a show of force. And so there would be a, a, a king or... Uh, a Caesar in emperor on a horse surrounded by a uh, battalion of soldiers. There would be weapons brandished, a lot of clanking, a lot of sunlight bouncing off of polished metal, a lot of uh, red. And this would be a way of saying, the king is here and you better behave or else. Do you see this? And so there's a very earthly and domineering and threat level midnight uh, pressure coming in from the, the king. And so here, here's a picture of what that may have looked like. Here's a Roman soldier on a sword, I mean, on a sword, on a horse, with his sword. So this is a show of force, okay? Now, Jesus doesn't pick this animal. Jesus doesn't pick a mule, which is halfway between a horse and a donkey. He goes all the way to the donkey, and not to a donkey, but to the colt of a donkey, little baby donkey, and to an untrained, brand new, who knows what it's gonna do, donkey. Needs to be led by its mother. There was two of them there, if you read Matthew's account. 
And so this is what Jesus chooses. Now, I don't know how to illustrate this other than to show like um, what may be fitting for a horse in today's military might. Here's a picture of a off-road vehicle with a soldier with an automatic weapon. This is the best thing I can think of that may have been like what Jesus could have done or what an what a emperor would have done. And then here's what Jesus chose instead. <laughs> just, just to like get you on the right track. It's just Walmart, you know, just waiting for Jesus to cruise on by. And so he both makes a very loud statement about who he is, but he does it in a way that is really lowly and non-threatening. Do you see this? And this is part of the nature of King Jesus. He has the rule and reign. He's the one who has the righteous and right ownership of everything, including you and all your stuff. And yet he never comes exercising threats, requirements. Jesus comes lowly and seated on a donkey, the foal of a donkey. And this is what he wants us as disciples to understand and to emulate. I've been thinking a lot about uh, in this series, we started in week one, just talking about how we need to shake off our religious spirit and stop trying to make the commands of Jesus something we do as external modification. We do wanna be more loving, but we don't start with more loving on the outside, more loving things. What are the things I'm supposed to do? I'll do the things. And instead we have to go for internal transformation, which always comes by faith in a relationship with Jesus that he works something on the inside of us. And then we work that from the inside out. Do you understand that? We talked about that in the first week. In the second week, we talked about Jesus as source. And so while, while Jesus has called us to be things and do things and to do things together in a certain way, oftentimes we can go deep diving, trying to draw life out of who we are, what we look like, what we sound like, what our achievements are, how successful we've been. And so we're always pulling life and drawing from something about our own identity or our purpose. Uh, what is our job? What is our vocation? What about our, our, our role as a parent or as a spouse? Or relationally, we try to find identity and we try to find meaning and value from the community we're in, from our HOAs, from our church community, from our, from our co-ops. We, we look for places to draw life from. And the problem is we ruin relationships that way because no people can give us what we need from God. And so we have to start with our relationship with Jesus. We're joined with him by faith. He is the vine. We are the branches. We are drawing life from him. And then from that life source, we are then living out who he says we are, fully sourced with the strength to love. We are, we are fully living out our purpose. We're going out there to be who he called us to be as a gift to the world, not to get anything from other people, but simply to, to be fruitful to the people who are near us. And that defines the nature of our relationships, which ought to involve humility and love and service. And so what I wanted to do in this last week and with the few minutes that we have remaining is to consider for a moment, to think through what does it mean to love one another just as Jesus has loved us? I've been thinking about that a lot. I think about that in terms of what the disciples knew about Jesus at the time. My, my brain instantly goes to greater love hath no man than this. He laid down his life for his friends. And I think about Jesus laying down his life for, for all of us, even his enemies. And he's got greater love even beyond greater love. Uh, but Jesus had not gone to the cross yet. The disciples did not have that as a reference point for the words Jesus was speaking here, did he? They didn't. And so I think, well, maybe it had to do with their personal and intimate inter interaction with Jesus as a friend and as a teacher. They had been following Jesus now for three years, intimately close. I mean, it's a relatively short 
period of time, but they were with Jesus like 24 hours a day for three years. That's a long time. And they'd encountered Jesus. And we have some of those stories, some of those interactions to review and to look at. I think about when Jesus called Matthew. Remember when he, Jesus, Jesus picks up a couple of disciples from John the Baptist. So these are the, these are the seminary students. And then they went and got their big brothers. And then we end up with James and John and Peter. But Jesus picks up Simon the Zealot, who obviously is very passionate, community organizer. But I'll never forget Matthew 9 when Jesus comes to the tax collector's booth to a Jew who had turned his back on his fellow Israelites and was colluding with the Roman oppressors to overtax his own neighbors. This is a guy who is despised, a traitor, hated. His mom didn't talk to him. And Jesus approaches him, and I can imagine Matthew sitting there, Jesus walking towards me, like you, you look, you're looking at me, you're, talking, you're coming to me, someone behind me. And Jesus comes right up to him and he says, Matthew, follow me. And I wonder what Matthew felt like in those moments. To have a formal and public invitation from the most popular rabbi, the closest person to God who can do all these amazing miracles to feel welcomed and wanted. And I know that because I've, I felt that. I felt that when Jesus said, I want you to follow me. Me? Yeah, I want, I want you. You want me? And so I go back to the calling and I wonder if the disciples had that or the, the regular interactions where Jesus is adjusting them and patient with them and helping them and mentoring them just to be around Jesus. I mean, can you imagine what it was like? But the passage actually points us to what Jesus was talking about and it wasn't the cross, which hadn't happened yet. And it wasn't just his disposition or personality or style. The passage is actually really all about what happened when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Look at verse one of chapter 13. It sets up the whole chapter. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, so you see the big picture of what's happening and Jesus knows about it. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Isn't that beautiful? There's no end or limit to God's love for you. Verse two, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now just take this setting into your minds for a second. Jesus, knowing all the stuff that has happened to lead him up to this point, knowing what stands in front of him just in the next three days, including his own torturous death and how his disciples are gonna be scattered, knowing that all this is the culmination of God's big, huge, enormous plan, if there was ever a time to be focused on himself, this would be it. Sometimes I'm trying to wrap up some slides on a Sunday morning and my kids are like, daddy, I need oatmeal. And I'm like, give me a minute. It's Sunday, the most important day of the week. And I have three minutes and four slides. You're going to have to wait. Do you realize Jesus 
was in a little bit bigger of a situation <laughs> than a slideshow. But his impulse in that moment was to provide an example to the disciples of what it looks like to love one another. Because if you were a man in the first century and you had made arrangements, which Jesus had sent the disciples to go make arrangements, so we have this upper room, they're gonna celebrate the Passover together. It was probably just Jesus and his disciples, not the women and children. And so here they are. And because um, Jesus asked a man to do it, uh, they overlooked the feet washing. If there was a woman involved, I guarantee you there would have been somebody there washing feet. I know this because I see guys go to the buffet line, they get their food, they come back, no napkins. <laughs> Every single time. If you're a guy and you get napkins, if you remember it on the first time, wow. Wow, so I'm really impressed. Because most guys are like, I got napkins right here. One right here, one right here, right? What do I need napkins for? So everybody sits down and you know, this is a, this is a sandaled first century without indoor plumbing. And so the roads function in a couple different ways. You know what I'm saying? I don't need to draw this out for you. And there's not cars and CO2 emissions and global warming. Instead, we just have all the poo. Just the poo, the poo, the poo. All the animals dropping the poo. And they don't go off to the side of the road. It's just boop, right there. So you're dodging. And I'm telling you, you're not dodging 100%. You're not hitting 100% all the time. And so you got some nasty feet. Do you understand? Some nasty feet. Now listen, feet are already nasty. Do you realize? I mean, your beautiful manicured, clean and shooed feet, disgusting. Just, <laughs> just gross. No one wants to see them at all. You know, and, um, but then you add to that a full day's travel in the dusty ancient Near East with all of the trappings, that's gross. And then we don't have tables and chairs. We're sitting at a low table where you're kind of on a cushion and you're leaning and your feet are kind of laying to it at an angle, which is kind of heading in somebody else's direction. Do you understand? So you're eating your food just a few feet from feet. And you know everybody noticed this. This was not like, oh, I didn't even realize. You're like, oh, disgusting. At least mine are six feet away from me, right? <laughs> and so here, everyone's already eating. And Jesus takes this as an opportunity to demonstrate, in the same way, the choice of a donkey's colt in his triumphal entry, to demonstrate what it looks like to consider the needs of others above your own. If anybody could have had a I don't do feet attitude, it would have been the Lord and Savior who's about to save humanity from their sins. And yet it's at that exact moment, he takes off his sport coat, grabs a towel and a basin of water and begins to wash feet. I know this has become a religious ceremony in some circles. Maybe you grew up in a tradition where there was like some kind of annual foot washing and I've never done that. I don't plan to. Um, yeah, uh, but, but I've heard people say how meaningful it is and how, how humbling that it is. And so that's great if you kind of can tap into that experience. But this is just an everyday occurrence. I mean, this is just like taking the trash out. This is just like church is over, everyone's leaving to go to lunch and Jesus notices that the trash is over, over piling. And without saying anything to anyone, he just goes over and starts taking the trash out. Did you see this? So this is the nature and character, but it's more intimate and more personal than that. Jesus has literally got his disciples' dirty, nasty feet in his hand. And he is with his own hands, washing them clean. And there's 12 of them. And so this was not, this is a, this is a prolonged process of Jesus. And you can imagine the tension in the room. I imagine there was a lot of like looks, 
Like everyone's looking at like John, he's probably the youngest. They're like, you should have been the one doing this. Get up there and kill them. Get another bull. What are you doing? He's like, I, 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 I. you know, I, can you imagine all the interactions that are happening around this whole thing? And then like somebody had to go first. So you're, what are you going to do? Be like, no, no, no. But then of course, Peter does that. I don't, I'm not, we don't have time to read that, that part, but um, Peter's the loud mouth and he can see there's an opportunity for him to be exalted among the rest of them. Far be it from me, Lord, for you to wash my feet. No. Jesus, Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Then my whole body, wash my head and my, all the way down. <laughs> like, oh, everybody's rolling their eyes at this guy again. Oh. <laughs> Jesus says, already you're clean because of the words that I have spoken over you. Once you're clean, you don't need to wash your whole body, just your feet, right? And then that's, that's our life. I mean, that's a spiritual metaphor. Even for us, like Tiffany exhorted us this morning, you know, you've been washed, healed, restored, forgiven, justified, sanctified, adopted, every blessing we have in Christ. We have the mind of Christ. God never leaves us. And yet, you know, we walk through this dirty, gross life and we get stuff on us, don't we? We stub our feet, people step on us. We step in piles of things. And we have to come to God every day. And it's humiliating sometimes and it's gross, yet we have, we have a savior who condescends to wash our feet, to be right in our personal space, to see the things we've stepped in and to take care of it. And this is what Jesus says to Peter. The other thing that strikes me is this chapter sets out the reality of Judas as the betrayer, that he was never for Jesus. We're told in John's gospel, he, he'd been stealing from the, the money bag. He wasn't interested in anything but an opportunity. He's just looking at Jesus as a way to get into the next tier. And when he could tell Jesus wasn't going the way he wanted to, he started looking for a way to get off that train. And he found it by becoming the betrayer of Jesus to the Pharisees. And so he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And the devil's always looking for somebody who's willing to do the dirty work. And he found that in Judas. And so John 13 says, Satan had entered the heart of Judas, having already tempted him to betray Jesus. And so you understand something of the cosmic nature of the satanic opposition to the work of Jesus. And so even with the very devil himself in the room, Jesus washes the feet of Judas Iscariot, his betrayer, which tells us that there is no human being on the planet that the love and mercy and kindness of God will not reach. It does not mean every person will respond to it, will receive it. It is possible for people to see it and reject it. But I tell you this, when God calls your name, there's no turning back. And so this means that God's love is for everyone. If it's for Judas, it's for everyone. If it's for Peter, who makes a big show in front of everyone, I'll die for you, Jesus. I'll go wherever you go. No, before the rooster crows, the chapter ends, you will have denied me three times. It doesn't matter how bad you've screwed up. It doesn't matter how far away from God you are. We have a powerful savior whose name is Jesus. And he will wash the feet of his enemy and he will make you clean. And this is what he gives to us as an example. Look at verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example 
that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And then he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Do you see it? So Jesus provides an example. And I, I got to imagine the next time the disciples got together to have dinner after the resurrection and ascension, I'm guessing they were fighting over the basin and the towel, every one of them, because they remembered the lesson they had been taught and they were willing to love like Jesus. And they had a heart to do so because of the miraculous internal transformation that only Jesus can bring. And so I want to close just asking you a handful of questions. I'm hoping, I'm absolutely hoping that there's people in the room today and listening online that do not know Jesus the way I know Jesus, have not experienced him the way that he has displayed himself to be. And so I want to ask you these questions. Who is Jesus to me? The gospels are all about who is Jesus. The triumphal entry is all about displaying who is Jesus. Jesus washing the disciples' feet is helping you to get to know who Jesus is. But who is Jesus to you? That's the most important question because who he is doesn't change, but who he is to you is what changes everything for you. Do you realize it? Your real life starts not when you understand who Jesus is, but when you come to know him for who he is. When who Jesus is to me is Lord and teacher. He's the one that tells me everything I need to know. He's the one that commands me to do everything I need to do. He's the one I trust implicitly. He's the one that sources the strength to love. He's the one I turn to every day. I can't do anything without him and I wouldn't want to try. So who is Jesus to me? This is where the blessing comes. Listen, I, I started my early life looking for the best life, maybe even the blessed life. And I thought I could find it in the right career path, the right work-life balance, moving to the right place, having the right degree, being as successful as possible, finding a spouse that would bend to my every will and wish. <laughs> but none of those things will bring about the outcome that you're looking for because you weren't made for that. You weren't made to be king. Do you know it? But I gotta tell you, being a servant in the house of the most high is the most blessed life I could possibly experience. And every day I wake up and I talk to my Jesus. He's my teacher and my Lord. Who is he to you? Who is he to you? And maybe you've never, maybe you've never received everything he wants to give. Maybe it's, today's the day you make this prayer your own. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my savior and my Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of the throne of my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. And if you can pray that prayer in your heart sincerely, you have just turned over the lordship of your life to King Jesus and your blessed life starts today. No more do you climb to the top of the pinnacle of success to king yourself or queen yourself, but you come lowly and humble to the king of kings to experience his forgiveness and exaltation. Secondly, I wanna ask you, maybe you have prayed that prayer, maybe just now or maybe a long time ago. The second question I want you to ask is, who am I to Jesus? A lot of us need to spend a lot of time answering this question 
Because if we answered it honestly, we would say, I'm just a nobody. I'm just one of many. I'm just me with all my blemishes and problems and failures. I'm just trying to do better. And you don't understand that you are precious, unique, desired, loved, thought after, sought after. God wants to have a conversation with you. You know, people talk about, I have a hard time praying and I wake up to pray. Do you know that God was waiting for you to wake up? Because he wants to spend time with you too. We spend way too little time as Christians asking and answering the question, who am I to Jesus? What does his word tell me about him? What does he want from me? When I, so I, for years, I came to church looking for a word I wanted to be fed or looking for a feeling. I wanted to experience God's presence. And, and I do those things still today, but I also come saying, God, I wanna give you my praise and I wanna give you my thoughts and I wanna give you my offering. And I wanna, because I know what you mean to me and I know what I mean to you. And too often we, go through a long period of time where we have this one-sided intellectual relationship with Jesus, but he wants to walk with you and he wants you to know how much you mean to him. This is where worship and reciprocal love comes from. This is why I just tell people all the time, get, get in the word, read the gospels, see who Jesus is and talk to him because he's the same Jesus and he's risen and alive and well and ready to have a conversation with you by his spirit. Do you know that? And then lastly, this is the hard question which is why I saved it for last. Do people see Jesus in me? Do people see Jesus in me? Now, if you haven't answered the first question and said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and, or answer the second one and go, Jesus loves me and I'm the object of his love and I experience that every day, you will not find yourself adequately sourced to love the way Jesus is loving. Humility will never look that attractive. What can I do to help? Take out the trash. Oh. Where can I be the biggest help around here? Uh, the toilets are dirty. You can start with that. We have little snotty-nosed kids that need nose wiped. How about that? Uh, I was thinking like the stage, somewhere up on the stage maybe. Why? Because to know Jesus is to know the value of humility. Do you know that? Part of the life that he calls us to live is to just get lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. And in love, we end up demonstrating to other people a different kind of life. It's one that is distinctly Christian. It's quiet, it's others focused, it meets needs, and it's characterized by humble love. And so consider this for yourself. Philippians 2, 1 to 11. I love the way this starts. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if you feel built up at all because of who God is to you, any comfort from love, if just being in God's presence at any point in time, you experience his comfort, any participation in the spirit, if you've if you feel the presence of God or he moves in your heart and in your conscience and leads you in any way at any time, if you have any affection and sympathy, if these things are even present in your life, complete my joy, the apostle Paul writes, by being of the same mind, let's all do this together, having the same love, which originates in Christ, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, which comes very naturally, but also to the interests of others. How can I help? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Somebody say, it's mine. It's mine. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's mine. I don't need it from you. I already got it. Don't need to borrow yours. I brought my own. I got one right here. The mind of Christ, who though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, clung to, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross. Doesn't get any lower than that. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today is Palm Sunday and Jesus is here. He is alive and well and he is the true king. Next Sunday, we celebrate his resurrection, his victory over death and the enemy in the grave and the life we have in him. And every Sunday is resurrection Sunday for the believer. But every day is servant day for the followers of Jesus. Lord and master, what do you need? Anything I have, the Lord has need of it. It is yours. Humble like our king. What can I do? How low can I get? How can I love the person in front of me needing nothing from them in return? How can I find in Christ everything I need to be who he's called me to be brothers and sisters a people like that will shine like a bright light in a dark place and the world cannot ignore it by this all people will know that you are my disciples god wants to do a miracle brothers and sisters and the miracle starts in us so who is jesus to you who are you to jesus and every day lord god Let my life point people to you. Try to do it on your own. You won't make it one day, I guarantee you. But do it with Jesus and watch what happens. God, I just wanna pray for myself and my friends. Lord, you are doing a miracle in us and around us and through us. God, we all all can sense the rumbling of your spirit in the world. We all can sense that this rouge this, this daze that our world has been under through its prosperity and its peace, Lord, it is being shaken. God, we know that you are about to do a big thing. Lord, we wanna be the people who are shining the bright light when people start realizing the darkness that covers them. God, I just pray that you would help us to get low, low, low in humble love like our King Jesus that we might display to a watching world what real love looks like, what real truth is, and who our God and King is. And let it be an act of worship to you. Lord, as we learn to pour out our hearts, to experience and become the objects of your relentless love, your measureless love, do this work in us, in Jesus' mighty name. We're gonna stand and close with a song. And if you today prayed for the first time that prayer, 
I want you to come forward and let our prayer teams lead you in a prayer. We want to help get you into the next steps of baptism and put some resources in your hand. So don't be shy. Uh, We also want to just celebrate anybody who's making a commitment and a decision to follow Jesus. Amen? So let's stand and sing, and this is your opportunity to come let us know.